The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. It is a great joy on this July morning to welcome you to Marsh Chapel, whether you are here in person, listening live over the radio at 90.9 WBUR, or over internet signals at WBUR.org, or listening later on the podcast at bu.edu slash chapel. It is a special joy to greet you this morning as we continue our annual Summer Preacher Series, and so too to welcome to the pulpit our second preacher, the Reverend Dr. Stephen Chapin Gardner, pastor of United Church of Christ in Norwell, Massachusetts. Our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, sends his regards as he is away in these weeks, and we look forward to his return in August. Now let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal, that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. As we turn our hearts to confession, hear these words of Howard Thurman. Lord, open to me. Open unto me light for my darkness. Open unto me courage for my fear. Open unto me hope for my despair. Open unto me peace for my turmoil. Open unto me joy for my sorrow. Open unto me strength for my weakness. Open unto me wisdom for my confession. Open unto me forgiveness for my sins. Open unto me love for my hates. Open unto me thyself for myself. Lord, Lord, open unto me. Let us confess our sins in silent prayer during the singing of the Kyrie.
we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Ezekiel in the 37th chapter. It says, The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. The Lord led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy, prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, there was suddenly a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then the Lord said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as I was commanded, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then the Lord said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, I am going to open your graves and bring you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 105 with the antiphon. to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonderful works. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. Remember the wonderful works he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of his servant Abraham, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He is mindful of his covenant forever, of the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Praise the Lord. the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of our gospel. of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew chapter 13 verses 31 through 33 and 44 through 52. Glory to you, O Lord. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. 
Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Good morning. Uh, it is a uh, absolute honor and joy to join you uh, this sum- for the summer's preaching series at Marsh Chapel, which is focused on evangelism and the liberal tradition. And this morning I want to focus on that first word, evangelism, evangelical to evangelize. Uh, I realize these are not particularly comfortable terms for New England Christians. Uh, A number of years ago, our family went to a wedding of some distant relatives in West Virginia. Um, The groom and all the groomsmen were these kind of young, athletic, uh, handsome guys who were all planning to serve Christ's church as youth ministers. And over the course of the weekend, they they discovered that I was a pastor in New England, and they kind of looked at me with this uh, pitying admiration, and then one of them said, boy, New England is a tough place to evangelize. I didn't even have the heart to tell them that we don't even like to use the word. You know, to, uh, for those of us who preach and teach and participate in churches in New England, we know that this is a tough place to evangelize. Uh, we know that this sometimes is a difficult place to be Christians. It's, it's difficult to have a vital and vibrant church in these soils. Uh, uh, New England has become a fairly hazardous landscape for Christians and churches. As you probably know, the Trinity University study now proclaims that uh, New England has surpassed the Pacific Northwest as the least religious region of the country. And you know, we, we actually see that, I think, probably all around us. Uh, someone uh, I was visiting with a few months ago uh, came into my office and, and they had been in Maine the previous weekend. They said, oh, Chapin, we went to an absolutely fantastic church Sunday. I was thrilled. I thought, New England Church, I want to hear about it. I said, well, what was it? What made it so uh, welcoming and interesting to you? And, and with a smile, he said, well, I had the pan-roasted Atlantic cod with braised baby artichokes, clams, fingerling potatoes, olives, and oven-dried tomatoes. It was absolutely divine. He and his family had eaten at Grace Restaurant in Portland, Maine, a uh, trendy new restaurant that uh, is, makes its home in a 1850s Gothic Revival-style church. Uh, the review, the review in the local paper was interesting. It, it said, uh, few of us bother to go to church anymore. So people in Maine must find ways to reuse our houses of worship just as we do our riverside mills in this post-industrial age. Grace restaurants repurposing 
of the Chestnut Street Methodist Church is the most impressive reclamation project yet. I'll tell you, there is more repurposing of, of uh, churches in New England than anywhere else in our country. Uh, a number of years back, and, and some of you may remember this, the Boston Globe's real estate section had a, uh, had a cover story entitled Converted, and it was about uh, all of the uh, area churches, some of which are just steps from Marsh Chapel that, that have been converted into high-end condos. And uh, the comments from the new condo dwellers, I think, were as amusing as they were disturbing. I remember uh, uh, one woman said, I'm a very spiritual person, and living in this old church makes me feel as if I'm cradled in God's hand. Another commented saying, I love old buildings. If there were icons on the wall, that would have been really fun. Now, I don't know about you, but if one day someone is living in a two-bedroom condo in a church that I either served or attended, I think I'm going to roll over in my grave, particularly if they say, you know, it would be really fun if there were still icons here. If only there was an etching of the crucified Christ over the kitchen sink, that would have been really neat. I think, I think what we see in New England is that slowly but surely, and maybe not all that slowly, the Church of Jesus Christ is being driven into exile. So what group of Christians, frankly, can think about evangelism when many folks are just trying to survive? Now, it used to be, if you remember the good old days, what we referred to as the good old days, you, you could probably get a dose of Christianity just by going to school. Uh, we believed that we were a Christian nation, and I think we all just assumed everyone believed just like we did, which meant that the Ten Commandments could be posted just about anywhere you wanted to place them, means that manger scenes could be erected on town greens uh, without creating a firestorm of controversy. In fact, our historic New England churches were called meeting houses. Meeting houses because the church was the place where the people of the town went to conduct civic business and engage in community discourse. The church was central, which means that uh, sports games and practices were not held on Sunday mornings. Uh, it means that you couldn't buy booze on Sunday. In the town that my wife grew up in, you couldn't even drive on Sunday. Uh, everyone went to church. And if you remember, you went to church because if you didn't go, you'd be the one everyone talked about at coffee hour. The good old days, right? Well, for good or for ill, much has changed. Uh, the church in New England is not central anymore. In many ways, our faith is in exile. And I think if Christianity is going to regain some relevance in this region, then evangelism has to become more than just a scary word we don't ever speak. Now, from our first reading, you probably know that the prophet Ezekiel was very familiar with exile. He was among the first group of Jews that were deported from their homeland in Judea in 598 BC, and they were deported or imported to the menacing empire of King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And from Babylon, from a distance, Ezekiel learned of the destruction of Jerusalem and of the burning and sacking of the temple. He learned that all that had been, the glory that had been Israel, was lost. And we're told that that is when God gave Ezekiel a powerful and frankly disturbing vision. We're told that the Spirit of God placed Ezekiel in a valley that was absolutely filled with dry, sun-bleached, lifeless bones. 
It's a gruesome sight that I can only imagine that, that uh, sunk Ezekiel's spirits even more deeply in despair. You know, when you find yourself, when we find ourselves in the valley of dry bones, it always seems as if things have gone from bad to worse. I suspect we've all had our moments when it felt as if despair or death or destruction were all around us. Our health was failing, or our business was failing, our grades were failing, our children were failing, felt like the bones of misfortune were piled around our ankles, it seemed as if all hope was lost, and if someone, if the Lord at that moment asked us, mortal, can these dry bones live, we probably would have responded by saying, not a chance. Which, or at least no, you know, and, and Ezekiel's response to God, if you listened in the text, is not far from that. You know, when asked, mortal, can these dry bones live? Can that which is dead regain life? Ezekiel answers saying, oh Lord God, you know, which is another way of saying, I don't know. Things look kind of grim. I'm not sure I like our chances. Now, I want you to notice this morning is that, that God responds with a command saying, prophesy, speak, tell people what is possible. I mean, what I love about this passage of scripture is that the first step, the first step to new life and vitality, whether it's in our own lives or in the church, is to talk about it, to speak about it, tell people about it. Proclaim that God can put together that which has been broken apart and then just step back a little bit and watch what happens. Watch as dead bones, dead relationships, dead churches, dead faith. Watch as they're given new life merely by speaking good news into difficult circumstances. And I, I, I bet each one of us here have had this experience where we have literally gotten knocked down, literally flat down, and thank God, literally thank God, someone came by and they offered a hopeful or encouraging word, and it was just enough to get us back on our feet again. I, I, I think that is exactly what evangelism is. It is the sharing, the speaking of good and encouraging news. And I find, I, you probably have found this in your life too, when, when people are told what is possible, that's when really exciting things begin to happen. See, in this text, I think the Hebrews' hope, their faith, and maybe most importantly, their imagination had been deadened in exile. They've lost a sense of possibility, and, and the first step back to their promised land was to have someone speak up and proclaim that God could lead them back from the brink of disaster. And so Ezekiel, there standing ankle-deep in dry bones, uh, became that person. And he proclaimed that God could breathe life into death. Now, as Christians across New England sit in sparsely populated church pews, as we see the role of Christianity in our culture greatly diminished, as we quietly wonder, honestly, if our faith makes any difference at all anymore, there are moments, even for pastors, where we can begin to wonder if all hope is lost. And I think most of the time, what's really lost is our imagination. We cannot conceive of a vital Christian faith that captivates our lives and our culture. We don't know what it looks like anymore. We have no vision for it. Uh, taking the gospel, we can, we can see the mustard seed. We see it there, but, but we can't imagine it taking root and growing into an enormous bush 
that can serve as an expansive demonstration of God's kingdom. And truth be told, I don't think we can imagine having a faith that daily directs our actions any more than we can imagine sitting in a church on Sunday mornings absolutely packed with people who are passionate about bringing about a better world for the glory of God. And we look around, and honestly, in this region, all we see are skeletons of once proud churches now repurposed into condos or restaurants or community centers. And so when, when, when we're asked, mortal, can these dry bones live? We want to say no. We don't like our chances. But, but Ezekiel encourages us to believe that it is indeed possible. Jesus' parable of the mustard seed encourages us to believe that it is possible. I mean, if you look at both those stories, uh, you realize that they prompt us to raise our voices and proclaim that God can still breathe abundant and expansive life into death and into discouraging circumstances. Now, the prophecy that we read together from Ezekiel, the prophecy that Ezekiel dared to proclaim in the Valley of Dry Bones, lest we forget, actually came true. Against all odds, 70 years after their captivity in Babylon, King Cyrus of Persia allowed the Jews to return to their homeland. Why? We have no idea. We don't know, but, but it, is, it, it happened. It is a historical fact. God said that Hebrew people would be restored to their land, and it came to pass. And, and I'll tell you, given all the challenges, all the challenges to their survival throughout the generations, it is nothing short of miraculous that there are any Jews in Palestine today. I mean, time and time again, when the Jews were standing in the valley of death with the bones with the bones of their people literally gathering around their ankles, God brought them back from the brink of destruction into new life because that is what God does. That's who God is. God breathes life into death. And I think that's particularly important to remember on a weekend like this when we are all absolutely focused on the horrific events in Norway. God The good news is that God is in the resurrection business, which means that God resurrects lives. That's what we profess to believe. It means that that God resurrects relationships. It means that God has a way of, of resurrecting entire communities. God can even resurrect churches. God can take this tiny little mustard seed and turn it into a powerful image of heaven. God breathes abundant and expansive life into death. It has been true for the Jews. It was true for Jesus. And and I want us to believe this morning that it can be true for us as well. And something, something of that resurrection message, which is found throughout the Bible, it's not just a New Testament thing, it was there in Ezekiel. Something of that resurrection message must be at the heart of evangelism. Resurrection is the good news that we're called to share in the valley of dry bones, in desperate lives and situations, and even in the midst of dying churches. Yes, yes, we're encouraged to believe. These dry bones can live. A mustard seed of faith can produce literally a kingdom full of possibilities. We're we're encouraged to believe that yes, in fact, resurrection is real. In truth, as New Englanders, the uh, word evangelism freaks us out a little bit. 
When we hear it, it conjures up images of theologically disturbing religious tracts on our windshields. Or it, it, it conjures up an image of, of hellfire and brimstone preaching yelled through a megaphone by a guy wearing a, a sandwich board that is licked with flames. Or evangelism has come to mean billboards, roadside billboards that proclaim a judgment day that frankly came and went without much happening. I mean, that's, that's what we tend to think of when we hear the word evangelism. So we choose to have nothing to do with it whatsoever, you know? We have come to believe that evangelism means telling people they are doomed if they don't change their ways. We've come to believe that evangelism is about telling people how bad things will get because of their sins. And frankly, as thoughtful people who are pretty well acquainted with our own faults and failings, we don't want any part of that. No thank you. However, and this is what I want you to get this morning, according to the story of Ezekiel, Evangelism is just the opposite. Evangelism is not about sharing bad news. It's about sharing good news. Evangelism is standing in the midst of difficult, perhaps even desperate situations and getting up the courage to tell people that God intends for things to get better. Evangelism is not about hell and fire. It is about hope and faith. It is about how little seeds become giant bushes and how giant bushes can become symbols of God's abundant and expansive love. Simply put, evangelism is about sharing good and encouraging news just like that with other people. So, given uh, the story of the dry bones, what might evangelism look like today in New England? I'm going to suggest that like Ezekiel, as Christians, we're the ones We are the ones called to stand in the dry and barren and desperate places of life and proclaim words of hope. You know, we are called to speak up and to speak words of encouragement to others. You know, in disheartening situations, we're the ones who are called to proclaim what is possible even if we hold some doubts ourselves. You know, in the midst of a world that is full of broken dreams, and broken promises and broken relationships. In a world that is full of broken churches and broken budgets and broken political discourse, in a world where we see the brokenness that that grips Norway today, we are the ones called to ignite people's imaginations by reminding them that we serve a God. We follow a Lord who is in the resurrection business. Time and time again, our God breathes life into that which is dead. God takes what is broken and puts it back together again. Maybe different, but back together again. That's who God is. That is the essence of God's character. Our Lord is a life giver, and that is very good news. And when we, each one of us here, when we gather up the courage to share that good and encouraging news with one another and with others, that's called evangelism. And that is what evangelism is in our tradition. And frankly, it is something each and every one of us can do. Will you pray with me? Lord God, here in this region, when we hear a word like evangelism, we we tense up. A whole bunch of images come to mind, and, and we're not sure we want anything to do with it. 
And even when we, we hear that evangelism is sharing good and encouraging news, we're not sure, we're comfortable with the term. And yet you invite us always as people of faith to reach out. And sometimes it's, it's reaching out in service to literally do good deeds and acts in the world, but sometimes, Lord, that evangelism, that good service is literally speaking a word of encouragement to someone in need. Lord God, you have taught us that words are life. And we pray that you would help us to have the courage to share that life, share your life with others. We pray that evangelism has a long, long, long time left in our tradition. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We come now to the time in our service when we join our hearts in prayer. I would invite you to either remain standing or be seated or come to the communion rail according to your tradition for our prayers of the people as we join in our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord.
Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and eternal, we gather before you this great day that you have made, and our hearts turn to you in longing and hope. The prayers of this community here offered conclude God in your mercy, and the congregation responds, hear our prayer. Gracious God, we pray for this community, called by your Spirit, gathered for worship and dispersed in ministry, that we may follow in the light you have given to illumine our path. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Holy God, we pray for those in our community who are sick, who suffer illness and distress, that your spirit of consolation may be with them, and that your wisdom will guard those charged with their care. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Merciful God, we pray today for our brothers and sisters in Norway, for their pain and loss, and for the pain and loss we experience as once again fear and anguish seek to rob us of joy and hope. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of wisdom and justice, we pray for leaders in this nation and around the world who have been entrusted to find order and bring about stability for our economic systems, that they may exercise discerning leadership in a spirit of compassion and goodwill. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Wandering God, we pray for travelers during these summer months, and we pray especially for those who have traveled beyond this life to another shore, that they may find eternal rest. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you here at Marsh Chapel once again this morning and hope you will take a moment to put your name and contact information in the red pads found along the center aisle of each pew, that you'll pass the pad along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We give thanks this morning once again to the Reverend Dr. Stephen Chapin Garner for his bringing of the word this morning. We thank also Mr. Patrick Waters, our guest choir master this morning, and our guest organist, Peter Krasinski. We hope that you will join us following the service downstairs in the Marsh Room, which we would note is indeed air-conditioned, for uh, fellowship and refreshment. And we would encourage you to keep an eye on the chapel website, bu.edu slash chapel, for the opportunity for online giving and for upcoming services and activities. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God. Thanks, O God, this day for life and health and peace. Bless these gifts and those who have given them for the building up of the people of God and the service of the world. Amen.
pray together. Lord God, the truth is we come here to be repurposed by you. So we ask whatever we have brought in with us, whatever anger, whatever frustration, whatever sense of being lost we've traveled in with, we pray that you send us out from this place full of love and hope and encouragement so that we might share those words, that hope, that encouragement with others, now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.